Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ad Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh Hellyard from Ad Advance, and today I'm joined by Adam Heiss-Runquist. Adam, it's awesome to have you on the podcast again today. Dude, it's always one of my favorite things to jam with you. You're one of my favorite people in the space, and uh, we always tend to have a lot of fun on these, so happy to be back, man. Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. And as I was telling you before, too, like the last podcast that you did, it was one of our most listened to podcasts we've ever had. So I love your content. For anybody who's not following Adam, check out his channel on YouTube. Awesome content. I always love seeing the new updates that you have. And what I find is really cool with you is you're actively doing this. You're actively growing, managing brands. So a lot of really actionable, down-to-earth advice. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate the content that you put out there. Appreciate it, man. Well, uh, it's mutual admiration because you're one of the the folks, especially on LinkedIn. I'm always, whenever you do a post, I'm always deep diving, sending it to the team. And uh, you post incredible stuff too. So it's great to learn from each other. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, one of the one of the videos you recently did, and I loved your take on this, is there's been a lot of people who are saying, all right, starting an Amazon business or starting an e-commerce business in 2023, it's just impossible at this point. Um, and you were able to break down some different strategies that you can implement going in and starting a new business, or how do you really grow a business on Amazon, uh, on FBA? And so Wanted to get your take on that and kind of break down the different methods that you see that could work. And let's just start right there. I mean, what's what's the different ways? Like, so first off, key question, like, can you start a business on Amazon in 2023? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's everything changes in life, right? In, in business and life, you know, there's, there's always going to be shifts and you get comfortable, you like the way things are, and then the world shifts underneath your feet, and either you adjust or you succumb to those changes. And and you know, there's two different trajectories that take place uh, depending on the decisions and, and strategies you implement. So I think a lot of that sentiment is folks that have experienced Amazon in different eras, and as things change, uh, some good, some bad, some favor some people, some disadvantage some people. There's going to be sentiments where oh, I, I kind of like it when it was two years ago. It's it's life, right? So I, I think that avoidance of change is probably where a lot of that sentiment comes from. My take on it, honestly, is, and maybe this changes at some point, but but I don't see it changing anytime soon, is that if you're going to be launching a physical products e-commerce business, for the vast majority of especially entrepreneurs that are looking to start something up themselves, for all of the warts, for all of the battle scars, for all of the changes that have existed on the Amazon platform, there really isn't a less risky, more predictable way to build a seven-figure business if you're building an e-commerce business. There's just so much embedded in terms of the customers, it's frankly a lot easier to compete with with some of the basics covered. You don't have to you know, bring customers to the party in terms of paid media ads. You tend to be able to get away with frankly less sophisticated product development and offers. Um, it's just an easier, easier battle and fight to win. Now, of course, like anything, it comes with its own, its own warts and challenges that I'm sure we'll dive into. But I think that if you've got call it 10 to $20,000 and you wanted to build an e-commerce business and you wanted to really hunker down for a couple of years and learn what it takes to build what it takes to be successful. If you were to take that 10, $20,000 and I was to take it over 50 people that had that sentiment and attitude and brought some skills to the table and the right attitude to the table. And I put them into D to C real estate, FTX trading, crypto, Amazon, 
I think the law of averages and probabilities would heavily weight people finding that that success uh, on Amazon. Does everybody do it? No. Does it work in every circumstance? No. Uh, but in terms of predictability with with that kind of set of variables, I, I still think it's it's the best bet in town. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I love just expanding it out too. if I OK, if I've got this cash available and if I look at potential upsides and probabilities, like anything that's worth going after is going to have risk involved with it. And then you can just look at, all right, what's the potential upside here? Are there going to be failures? Yes. But there's going to be a lot of successes, too. And so I love that broader picture perspective. So as you're looking, so you're going to start a new business and it's going to be focused on selling physical products on e-commerce, primarily using Amazon FBA. Like what's some key strategies or how do I look at that? Do I look at like low margin products? I really try to go on the upper end. Like, do I look at investing in, in like previous businesses? Like how do I approach that? What's some different options there? Yeah, really good question. Maybe we can just start kind of going through what I think are, are kind of the three doors to success. Um, not to lead witnesses, but I think there's one door that is going to cater to most folks, given just natural skill sets and abilities and variables that play in your advantage. But I, I think there's really just there's three different doors. The first one, and we can talk also about kind of how some of the dynamic shifts that have taken place in Amazon, because I think these doors have certainly changed and the appetite to, to direct yourself in, in any one of them might have changed. So I think Door number one, which has always existed on Amazon, but I think it's very much a pretty clear cut uh, path if you look at the data today. And this actually stems from a, a really incredible uh, kind of data research project that Danny McMillan over at the Seller Sessions podcast did. He also runs a, an agency, has access to a ton of data. They basically looked at you know the SERP of Amazon. So if you look at the first page of Amazon search, they looked across categories, looked at certain BSRs, and they basically said, okay, can we correlate price to how performance plays out on the search results of Amazon, taking sponsored ads out of the equation, just looking at organic performance. And, and it's not surprising, but I think it, it's certainly telling in the sense that if you look at kind of how organic search looks now, you basically have, you know, a sponsored brand headline at the top, you've got a row of sponsored products, that's the next rung, then you've got your four or so, depending on mobile versus uh, versus desktop, you got your four organics. Those are really the holy grail. And then beyond that, it changes depending on category. But typically, spots five to ten are now around the middle of the page. But if you look at okay, well, who's gravitating to those top four? Can we look at mass data outputs and see what what things look like? So, door number one to success is getting organic on those top four, not relying as much on paid ads, really just securing those positions, getting bestseller badges, Amazon's choice badges. But the dirty little secret on that is you've got to have a low price. Uh, again, it's it, it doesn't take, uh, you know, the village idiot could probably figure that out. But when you look at the data, it's super telling. It's something like, you know, the the top four on CERT based on, on Danny's research are almost always the lowest price, which makes sense, right? I, I, it's a search-based platform. People are having high buying intent. They trust Amazon. They don't necessarily need to trust the brands or offers. If it's there in the top four, it's got a ridiculous price. Heck, I'll take a shot at it for most product categories that don't require a whole lot of thought process. If I don't like it, I've got Prime. I'll return it. Done. Easy. So, so those, you know, one door to success is, is basically finding a cost advantage where you basically can go to deeper waters than other sellers. You can absorb a much lower 
uh, net margin per unit. And when I say we're, we're talking single digit stuff, a lot of people talk about, oh, I want 30, 40 percent margins. These are folks that literally are, you know, getting it down to the bone where oftentimes they're running maybe at 5 percent. But the playbook there is, is okay, I'm going to make 5% net margins, way less than it, you know most people have an appetite for, but I might sell 5, 10x times because I'm in those, those four top organic positions. So I'm making it up with the total contribution margin or, or the bucket of dollars that come in. And then I get sales velocity, I get better organic rank, I get better reviews, I'm in the Amazon flywheel, I don't have to spend as much on ads because my organic results naturally convert, and they play that game. I think the the dynamics at play there, which which make it inaccessible for most people. First of all, I would say it's not a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, when you're running a business like that, uh, if you like to be creative, if you like to build stuff, if you like to impact people, um, that's really not the avenue where you're going to get those those layers of fulfillment, right? We're talking about you got to typically it's factories, honestly, that are going to get that. They've got a cost advantage all the way upstream to how the products are being manufactured. So instead of getting the you know 10% markup that you would get as a independent non-factory player, you know they're taking that that savings and and, and reducing their price. There's also some more nefarious stuff that tends to happen, right? I'm, I'm not going to make too many stereotypes or generalizations here, but generally speaking, uh, folks have entities that are not set up in the U.S. or the countries with which they sell in, so they're not you know, subject to the same tax rules. So if you and I are doing a business in the U.S., we're looking at you know 22% tax burden on any profits that come in. They may have zero or close to zero. So that's an advantage that they, again, pass down in the lower price, which is hard to replicate. The other thing, uh, and Western sellers do this too, but it's certainly pretty common in, in these circumstances is, is let's say that my product cost is 10 bucks. Uh, I sell it for 5% margins on Amazon. You know, I'm somewhere around 18 bucks. When I import it into the US, let's say I've got a 20% duty on that, that would be $2 a unit. So instead of my, you know, factory cost of 10 bucks, it would actually cost me 12 to get it into, into the US. They may say that that product costs two bucks. So they're paying 20 cents, not $2. Now, of course, if the U.S. government or the, you know, the folks that, that catch you on the invoices see that, they can seize the goods. You know, there's a whole lot of legal trouble that you can get into. If you're a U.S.-based person, you literally can go to jail. Uh, so, but there, there's, there's folks, I think, that, that are looking for that really hyper-priced competitive game, high-volume game. Uh, where those strategies uh, are deployed by some players. So I think, you know, door number one is, is you've got some kind of a ridiculous cost advantage. You're willing to really go close to the bone. You're willing to fly close to the sun in terms of maybe skirting some of the typical taxation or uh, import duty rules. But you have a, a ridiculously low price. Your offer might be okay. Your product might be okay. Uh, but you play the game of getting a tremendous amount of sales velocity, organic rank, uh, organic rank and reviews. Yeah, yeah. So the whole focus in that type of business, let's cut costs anywhere possible. And if you're not located, say in the US, you can take some more risk there too. Yeah. And so for those, like you're saying, you probably have to have access to a factory, maybe be located overseas. And for product development and everything, it's more just focus on the cost versus the creativity. And then yep. you also don't have other options available. Like in that case, advertising is going to be much too expensive for you. Yep. Um, and we've tracked it year over year, too, just looking at overall advertising placements. And organic keeps getting pushed a little bit further and further down those search <laughs> pages, too. So another risk with that that type of strategy as ads continue to eat up more and more of those, uh, more and more of those search results as you go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So... Uh, 
All right, so that's one. Let's cut costs anywhere possible. Let's be the cost leader. Margins are going to be incredibly low and probably going to have to have some good connections or work at the factory and everything else like that. So one option. What, what, what's some other options? Yeah, so I think the second option, and this is really uh, what played out, I think, with the Amazon aggregator playbook uh, of the last two or three years, which is you've got, if you kind of use the real estate example, you've got these incumbent assets that exist across organic search and in various categories on Amazon, where they've just been there for a long time. They're established, they've hit the Amazon flywheel at some point in the past, and that has given them a first mover advantage that they've cultivated in terms of history. Um, sales velocity, they've been able to get economies of scale by ordering more product at factories, they've driven down the costs. A uh, big one is the review uh, position, they might have 5, 10, 15, 20,000 reviews. And this is really ASINs and products that were typically uh, going to have been launched, I would say 2015, 2016, 2017 in that era. So they've, you know, they did the heavy lifting, they got in at the right time when maybe the dynamics were different. They established themselves well in a particular category organically, and they've basically ridden that position uh, into a spot where they're at today. There's obviously some nuances, some pros and cons to this one as well. Um, I think this is, again, if you're starting from scratch, this isn't one that really exists for you, right? This this advantage is passed by. This is taking existing you know, real estate, so to speak, and, and playing that position on the right streets on Amazon uh, to take advantage. But I think what's happened with this playbook and, and how it's eroded over time is the fact that Organic search has changed. You know, if you launched in 2015, 2016, 2017, you might have been up against maybe four other non uh, organic placements. Maybe there was some mid, you know, product display ads mid page, so there's maybe eight. So in that old school era, you know, you had four product ads at the top, then you had a bunch of organic, maybe towards the middle of the page, there was more product ads, and then maybe at the bottom. So really, if you were in that top 10, you were in the top 20% of eyeballs, you were getting the vast majority of searches, you could get away with five to 10% ad spend, if any at all. And if you had, again, decent product, decent photos, decent price, and a crap load of reviews, you kind of just ride that thing and you just make sure you're ordering on time and it becomes much more of a supply chain game. So it's like, you know, using the real estate analogy, it's, it's a good good house on a good street and you just maintain the yard and make sure that uh, everything's tidy and you're good to go. Uh, I think the forces that, that have happened really, again, coming on the top side and back side of what I would call the aggregator COVID bump era is that Amazon was like, you know, shit, we actually can make a lot of money on ads. And it turned out that over the course of the last three years, Amazon has built their ad business up such that they make more money from the Amazon ads business than they do from actually the referral fees and FBA fulfillment fees of selling and presenting other products on the platform. And some of this, I think, you know, is true to Amazon's ethos, which is, you know, customer first and giving more dynamic ways for them to find the right products. But let's call a spade a spade, right? They make make a lot of money from it. So, you know, you've you've got a whole bunch of sponsored brand stuff that's come in from headlines to video. They've expanded the the product search ads uh, that not only exist on that top masthead but exist throughout the page of SERP. They've got editorial recommendations. They've got their recommendations. They've got top reviewed products. So I think while this is still certainly a path for success, in fact, I'm in the process of acquiring a business right now that is, you know, that good real estate that we feel we could tidy up uh, on the front page of SERP, but but it's required some ingenuity, right? Like just okay product, okay offer, okay price, and a crap load of reviews isn't enough anymore. 
you know, you've got to do more to make your offer more compelling. So a lot of those folks have had to really rethink, hey, do I need to improve this product? Do I need to do a V2, V3? Do I need to launch variations? I got to redo my creative. I got to rethink about how I'm thinking about the customer. I got to be much more thoughtful about keywords. And instead of spending 5% you know, total budget on ads, that might be 15% now. And as a result, my margins are eroded. And maybe I've had to lower my price to maintain organic position to battle that door number one that we talked about. So I think, you know, this, this is a strategy that I think absolutely still has a lot of a lot of play, especially for those product categories that don't necessarily change a lot. And you know, they're going to be the same five years from now as they are right now. Uh, but I think that that's a refined playbook, right? You've definitely seen margins erode. You've had a, a much more higher requirement on building better products and offers, much more prevalence on ad spend. And I think the other playbook is is channel expansion, both getting into other Amazon marketplaces. You know, I, I think even if you're good at all that stuff, you're probably going to see your net contribution margin for those products be down 30%, what they would have been at their heyday. Some cases, 50% or more. So you can make that up with, you know, Working with your supply chain, working with your offer, getting tidying up your operational shop, tidying up your ad strategy. But frankly, even if you do all those things properly, it's not going to be 2016 anymore. So I think uh, that playbook involves expanding product lines, launching new products, getting into other international markets, and maybe testing other channels, both online and off, to kind of you know make up for that lost ground that may have happened from a, a, a lost margin standpoint for that door. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I got started selling on Amazon, it was 2014, 2015 timeframe. And yeah. yeah, you could give away products in exchange for review. Yep. It was totally aligned with terms of service. Like, yep. So you would just be able to budget in, okay, I need this many reviews. I'm going to give away this many products. You go to Thomason and send them to people and they give you the reviews. Yeah, that obviously has changed advertising when we first got into it. Like, yep, set up a couple auto campaigns, maybe a few manuals if I really wanted to get fancy. Like, ACOS looks <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, like total advertising spend super low. Um, and those times have obviously changed. But those people who have been selling since 2015, 2016, like those reviews are out there. And you've just been running on the platform now for many, many years where you've been able to accumulate up that social proof. And so, yeah, it is hard to compete against those really established listings. And so being able to get access or invest in those established listings, it was definitely the playbook from the aggregator space too. But what you're saying is they continually seem to be sliding a little bit into method one that you described. And so, yes. <laughs> yeah, it only, the social proof definitely helps you. But then with what you were describing at the end, it's like, okay, now I have to really look at supply chain and all the pieces and try to get price down and be competitive with those other really low cost providers. And so margins continue to erode, especially as advertising continues to expand and eat up more of that margin too. If you look at Amazon itself, people say, well, advertising is only like a couple percent of revenue. But if you look at total profits, like major profit driver. And so I don't see it shifting <laughs> yeah. or going the other way, like you're saying. And so to be successful in the future, I think you need that margin to be able to invest with it, knowing that advertising is going to be able to become more and more of that sales driver going forward. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we got two different scenarios there. You mentioned three. What's the, what's the third one? Yeah, so I mean, I don't think it takes a genius to figure out, but this is obviously the door that I think is, is the best fit for most sellers and certainly the one that I recommend and like to play in um, for a couple of reasons. I think that, you know, looking at those first two, two doors, I think that, you know, 
the strategies that are deployed there have their own unique set of fun strategic challenges in business and you're building something cool regardless. But I think the reality is, is that we didn't get into into business, into Amazon, into e-com because we like waking up and having a knife fight every single morning, you know? We're inevitably in business going to have our ups and downs and speed bumps and hurdles that we got to do. But I like to pick my battles, right? If I'm going to be in a fight, I'd rather be in a fight that I want to be in. And frankly, I just don't think that those those first two doors are that fulfilling for most people. And and honestly, just the the advantages that are required and, and skill sets and you know variables that are required, most people can't replicate, especially if they're doing something new. So for me, I think the future of, of selling on Amazon, the door that I think is the most fun and that I think most people will find success in is this concept of, okay, look, well, let's look at the current reality of Amazon, right? Again, if we look at door number one, you're going to typically see those first four organic placements be the low cost providers. That's likely something that's going to be hard to replicate, number one, and or it's just not going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the other thing there, too, is if you're actually looking to sell an asset, which I think a, a lot of people are not necessarily looking to run a business for 10, 20 years. They might want to build something for three to five years, sell it, and then you know go on and have you know fulfillment in life in other ways. You're not going to be able to sell a business that has net margins all in. That's after advertising, after your year costs, after all the variable costs of a product. If it's less than net 15%, that's just a reality. You know, if someone's using debt to buy a business or a portion of debt to buy a business, their debt's going to cost around that, you know, somewhere between 10 and 18%. So if you're running margins at 5%, no one's going to be able to buy it. So you basically are running on a hamster wheel that you're never going to get off of. Maybe it's spitting off cash. So to play in that net margins of 15% plus, and if you're launching new products and you don't have those established advantages that may have existed for six years previously or those cost advantages, you got to approach the game differently. And so for me, this is is what I call call kind of the, the premium pl- pl- price play. And this isn't just taking an existing product that exists from these other players. And I'm just going to make it 40% more expensive or 30% more expensive. Like done, I'll just make more margins and I'll spend a little bit more ads. I'm good. Like that doesn't work. So it really starts with what product and brand you actually want to curate and cultivate. And for me, I think this is the fun part. I think most people that are natural entrepreneurs that like to build stuff that like to make a dent in the universe that like to take something that didn't exist and put it into the world. This part's actually really fun. It's challenging, but it's really fun. So for me, it's about getting in, it's starting with the customer. And I think, you know, again, older eras of Amazon, you didn't really necessarily need to consider the customer. Maybe it was some, you know, your, your fifth or sixth step. Like, okay, I got, somebody is typing this in Amazon. I got to think about this a little <laughs> yeah, bit, but it was always initially yeah. focused on the product itself. And I think yeah, I exactly. here versus like putting myself in the headspace of the actual customer. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay, this product's doing 50 grand a month on Amazon. There's not that many reviews. I think I got something here. I'll go yeah. reach out to five factories <laughs> and Alibaba. Okay. The math checks out there. Okay, now who am I selling it to? And exactly. you figure that out after. <laughs> For me, the, the funnel's inverse now, which is basically you can't serve everybody, especially most of those I would call it real masthead categories on Amazon are going to be difficult because those first two doors have already capitalized on them, right? So we're talking about more broader niches that are more all-encompassing that cover a much larger total addressable market. So for me, it's going a couple layers down and saying, hey, okay, I can service everybody in this tier, but if I go down a couple of rungs, two, three rungs, and I niche it down at the industry level or at the customer level, 
maybe I'm not going to do 200,000 a month, but I've got something where I can do 30 grand a month and I can do a premium offering and I can compellingly create something that speaks to these people and I can use this playbook. So for me, it, it really is about finding those, those customer niches that you really think that you can service. And it's, deeply understanding them. So I used an example, you know, I'm building a, one of my new brands is a, a brand called Rideo. It's a kid's, kid's bike business. We're going to do kid's bikes, balance bikes, helmets, kid's bikes, things like that. You know, if I were to go into the masthead category of bikes and I was looking at, you know, the stuff that people buy when they buy bikes, that's the stuff that has 15,000 reviews. It's major players. It's low price, uh, price providers. And frankly, I don't really have much of an angle there. But if I niche it down and I'm looking at, okay, I'm looking at a, a Lululemon mom, that's kind of our customer archetype avatar. I know who that person is. I can find out what they care about. I can find out their pain points. I can understand their ego. I can understand the things that scare the shit out of them as a mom. Uh, I can understand their pressures as a parent. I can understand when they're looking at Amazon and they see a $50 product from Jinghua Bikes that has a bunch of weird images that they may not want to put their two-year-old toddler on that. And they certainly, from an ego standpoint, don't want to show up at the park as a Lululemon mom with this weird little, like, no-name bike that's cheap, right? So it's, okay, I've got somebody... I understand their psychology. I can dive in. I can see also the data on Amazon. I can layer that into the equation. I can use AI software tools now and really kind of get customer sentiment, see what people are thinking about. And I can really build an offer and a product, not only for the product itself, but for those psychological, ego-based, fear-based, aspirational-based things that that person cares about. And I can create a product that way. So starts with a customer. Then it uses the Amazon data and the other things that we used to maybe look at first to make sure that the math makes sense, that I've got a legitimate shot at compete, uh, competing. And then it's about, uh, I think the other major piece that's fundamentally different is product development. You know, whereas before you could kind of go in, take a pretty solid product that a factory has already made. Maybe I make a really nice box and branding. Maybe I change the color or design. Maybe I tweak it a little bit and I'm good to go. My product devs a month, maybe two months and I'm off to the races. This level of product development and, and kind of curating offers and true differentiation that doesn't just last a year or two, but lasts five, six, seven years where you can really kind of play it out a lot stronger, typically requires about six months worth of product dev. So we're talking a lot more hands-on, a lot more time finding the best factories that can really orient the cost and the engineering advantages that you want. Things like custom molds, much more thoughtful design curation. Uh, so the product dev takes a little bit longer, but... That is also hard to replicate. Anything that takes longer, A, it's going to dissuade a lot of other people from trying to replicate and do it themselves. And frankly, it becomes a lot more of a moat um, when you learn things like patents and or just the time of, of actually creating something that's hard to, hard to knock off. And then it really comes down to what I would call world-class Amazon creative and copywriting and branding. Uh, the reason I use the nomenclature Amazon is I think a lot of people, when they think about branding, it's like, they go to commercials, they go to Nike, they go to these big D2C brands that, you know, spend a couple million bucks on Facebook ads. And they look at all the stuff that goes into that. Sure. And it scares the shit out of them, rightfully so, because they can't <laughs> afford to spend that kind of money to, to create that stuff. So, yep. so for me, world-class Amazon creative branding and, and copy really comes down to using really accessible things that let you present yourself in a way that you're a world-class brand on the Amazon search landscape, but you're maybe, you know, yourself and a couple of VAs or even just yourself and some agencies behind the scenes. 
So a lot of this, uh, again, you got to really understand the customer. What do they care about? How do I want to rep represent my product visually such that people click it and actually convert on it once they're on the listing? But we use a lot of 3D images. You can really do amazing things with 3D now. You know, if you think of 3D four years ago, it was like cheesy. You could tell it was fake. The way that they do models now on, on 3D stuff, it, it's incredible. I could show you, you know, a 3D image of our bike and a photo of our bike in a studio, and you'd probably prefer the one that's 3D, and you might think it's actually real. You can take stock photography that exists. You can now use AI and a lot of the, the AI visuals, and you can basically hand select the kind of person and or scene that you want. And then you can position your product 3D on that, and it looks like you've just spent you know, 20 grand on a, on a pro photo shoot with professional actors. So, so for me, it, it, it starts there, right? It starts with really recreating visuals that you can really do for, you know, oftentimes, you know, one to $3,000, you can kind of create this stuff for, uh, but creating visuals and imagery that are like what they would see from a big brand, but they just see it on Amazon. And so, uh, I'll take a breath there, but really ultimately I think the playbook there is, is that you create really thoughtful products for human beings you then layer in the Amazon data, the Amazon know-how, you, you spend extra time and put your back into creating really good products, spend that extra money to think about how do I want to represent my brand visually, and you tend to be able to get away with, with charging a premium of somewhere between 20 and 40%, depending on the category. Now, you're not going to be in those top four positions because you're not playing that game. You're going to have to probably spend 40 to 50% of your sales are probably going to come from advertising. But again, because you've got a premium offering, you've got the cushion to be able to bring that in. And you're somewhere around the middle of the page, but you're speaking to a very specific customer. You're capturing a very niche, substantial set of searches on Amazon. You're converting them. You've got net margins somewhere between 15 and 25%. You're building something that you're proud to show your friends and family. You're building something you're proud of uh, on a day in day out basis. You've got customers that actually like your stuff that will talk about your stuff. And if you decide to sell your business, you've got something that people may actually want to buy. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that struck me as I was hearing you talk about this, it's like, all right, if we look at method one or two versus method three, right? three. All right. It's starting with the customer. It's building this awesome product for them. And instead of being like Amazon specific tactics, right? these are skill sets that you can utilize, whether it's on the Amazon channel or any other e-commerce channels or build out a store yourself or anything yep. like that too. You know, it's finding, okay, what's the right creatives for this channel to speak to my customer for this product. It's yep. creating a unique product. That's not just somebody else just can't pick up off of Alibaba and say and sell at the same time. And so it, it was really cool. Like, I think we're to this point where it's now you can't just use these Amazon tactics to get ahead. Yep. You have to use these skill sets to really build a brand. But when you do that, now you're building something that's long lasting versus just taking advantage of this initial period in time where this tactic works on Amazon. And so it really seems like you're moving past the tactic piece to all right, we're, we're building up a full brand here focused on the customer with this unique product that has this great mode around it versus this period of time or the situation. Yeah, for sure. And I, honestly, like one of the mindset shifts that has been really, really valuable for me, and I've really kind of, I, I think one of my advantages as a seller is even going back three years ago, 
I looked at a lot of, okay, if I wasn't selling on Amazon, what would I need to do? Because frankly, uh, we go back to the, the first sentiment, you know, is Amazon still a good place? Yeah, because it's actually easier than everywhere else to sell online. It frankly is, even even for all its new nuances and complexities, right? So, okay, if I was to launch this on D2C, if I was building a Shopify site and I needed to convert Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube ads, and I needed to like target a specific customer, like, you, you have a totally different playbook, but here's what's cool about this strategy for me is, is that you could be 60% as good. Like maybe you would actually get your ass kicked in D to C, but if you took some of that stuff, like, okay, I'm going to launch by building some influencers. I'm going to do some YouTube ads. I'm going to do some Google ads. I'm actually going to have to spend and be really thoughtful about how am I going to capture someone's attention in a 60 second video? How am I going to get somebody to click through based on one image? If I'm 60% as good as people that go to D to C and, and do it off of Amazon and I bring that to Amazon, plus I layer in the Amazon know-how stuff, that's when you really start to have an atomic weapon that becomes incredibly difficult for others to compete against you because they're just playing the Amazon game. And I think the reality is, is that frankly, I was a lot better at the Amazon game three years ago because there was a lot more nooks and crannies. There was a lot more nuance. There was a lot more things that people had yet to discover. Amazon for all its complexities operationally has actually gotten from an Amazon, I would say strategy playbook standpoint, gotten very generic and very simple. Basically, you know, you're not going to uncover a whole lot of keywords that other people don't know because most people are using all the software now and know the keyword strategies. And the reality is there's probably 10 to 20 keywords that matter for every single product regardless of category, regardless of size. Maybe you find the odd one here and there, but frankly, there's going to be 10 to 20 keywords that matter. So it really comes down to offer. It comes down to being absolutely ruthless and relentless creatively about click-through rate and conversion. I think that's actually the new Amazon game is how do I play the click-through rate conversion game? And it's about how do I actually speak to a customer in a way that's going to compel them to click in a millisecond on my product and within, call it 10 to 40 seconds, have enough on my listing that makes them want to buy it and and go from there. And so so I think the Amazon playbook, frankly, is becoming much more generic. There's a lot less that you can do that's unique there. I think that's table stakes. And you can certainly have an advantage there over other sellers. But I think the the nuances and the advantages that are coming gonna come from that DTC playbook, those other strategies that proper e-commerce brands use and bringing those to the Amazon party. And that's where the magic happens. I love it. I love it. So Adam, for people who want to follow along with the journey, get more content from you, where, the, where should they go? Yeah, just simple, man. Just uh, type in Adam Heist on YouTube. I'm, I'd say about 90% of the time I post most Mondays. There's the odd week where I'm traveling or whatever that I miss, but it's anywhere from deep dive, here's over the shoulder case study type stuff to interviews with super smart people like you that I respect to just quick nitty gritty thoughts on just the psychology of entrepreneurship, psychology of selling on Amazon. So yeah, Adam Heist on YouTube is, is your best bet. Yeah, I love it. And, it. and I will give another plug. Go check it out. Like tons of awesome content. And, and I, I love the, I, I feel like some people when they're looking at the space, they hype it up too much, make it sound a lot easier than it is. Like, I feel like you give a really good real world perspective. Here's what to expect. Here's the ups and the downs. And here's some key strategies that you can utilize. And so I think you're putting out a lot of awesome content. So highly respect you and appreciate the, the content you're putting out. So Again, one more plug. Go check out Adam Heinz. Yeah. Um, feel that, man. Appreciate that. Really feel yeah. it. Thanks. So, Adam, it's been awesome having you on the podcast as always. So, really appreciate that. 
Um, and for all those who are listening to the Ad Project podcast, thanks for checking us out. Um, and as always, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.